welcome to NAHB Power Hitters. I'm your host, Linda Hoffman, coming to you from the snow-capped Sierras. What a show we have today. Greg Pincala, Chairman and CEO of Fairfield Residential, joins us from beautiful San Diego. Greg joined Fairfield in 94 to launch the company's acquisition and development business. Over 150,000 units later, Greg's team has tallied nearly $19 billion in acquisitions and redevelopment business. Fairfield is one of the nation's largest apartment managers with over 30,000 units nationally. It's also the 15th largest builder. Fairfield operates in major metros just outside the urban core. Yield Pro ran a story sometime back on Fairfield's construction of its property, L7, in the San Francisco Mission. What I most remember is the 15 years to shovel ready and an ever-growing list of regulations that San Francisco continued to pile on the project's construction. And they're not the only ones. An NAHB study found that the cost of regulations, that is, fees, standards, and other requirements imposed throughout the development process, can add as much as 42% to apartment development costs. This is just one problem that must be solved. Housing is core to the existence of humanity. It impacts everything, and everything impacts it, from elections to pandemics and more. Greg has a lot to say on all of it, so let's get started. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Linda. Greg, let's start with the business environment in the wake of the election. How has the election impacted multifamily? Uh, you know, it's too early to tell, but I, I, I'll tell you, I personally have been, uh, and I think the industry should uh, really be happy about the outcome. Uh, as, as Linda pointed out, we're based here in, in San Diego, but we have offices across the country. And we had a lot of initiatives on, on uh, uh, the ballot November 3rd here, and two big ones. Uh, one was Prop 21, which was really the expansion of rent control. And it, it's the, the second appearance. Uh, it was last on the ballot, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, it got uh, you know, soundly uh, defeated then, and it got soundly defeated again. So that's great for California. And it's great for the rest of the country because typically what happens here somehow leaks its way across the country. So uh, we dodged a bullet there. I have a feeling uh, we haven't seen the last of it, but uh, so far so good. The other big proposition was Prop 15, which was uh, the split tax, uh, which uh, I think everybody knows about Prop 13 that was passed in 1978, which basically held tax rates at your original purchase price times 1.02% and taxes couldn't go up more than 2% a year. Um, and what this would have done is it would split the tax roll into single family homes, multifamily was accepted. And uh, I think commercial properties less than uh, 3 million. Everything else would have gone to market and that would have had, uh, I don't wanna say absolute devastation, but it, it would have had a big impact on real estate here in uh, California. And, and uh, I guess once they opened the door there, it's very likely it could have then extended in a future um, proposition to include multifamily. So that is really, really good. I think uh, in the national elections, um, 
anyway, my interpretation, and it's, it's too early to call, as we all know, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the outcome, um, you know, with a, a split Congress, uh, which, which is the way that appears uh, uh, to be going, um, I, I think is really going to help in terms of tax policies that will affect our business. And when I say tax policies, I'm thinking carried interest, 1031, capital gains treatment. Um, you know, likely if, if you do have a, a split Congress, it's going to be more difficult to uh, pass that type of legislation, all of which is really, really good for the real estate space. And, and quite frankly, uh, we've seen a real uptick in, in volume in the last two quarters. Uh, it paused almost completely uh, right after the pandemic uh, struck, uh, but then it picked up. And I think the real reason it picked up is people were very fearful of, uh, you know, a new tax regime, uh, you know, with a new administration. And uh, now that looks like it might have been a, uh, um, you know, overreaction, uh, given what the, what the outcome has been. So I feel real good about it. So thank you for asking. I, I agree. And I think um, many of the folks in the industry feel like uh, we dodged that bullet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we're, we're all very happy yeah. about that. And that leads to market pricing. And I'm, I'm really excited to speak to you about this in a meaningful boots on the ground way. What's the overview on cap rates and deal volume? Yeah, um, here again, uh, deal volume came to a screeching halt uh, uh, when the pandemic struck. Uh, everybody went to the sidelines, including us. Uh, you know, as a seller, we went to the sidelines. As a buyer, we went to the sidelines. Uh, development is much slower moving, uh, you know, that we didn't really sideline anything there. Um, and and uh, it, it very quickly uh, accelerated uh, once you know the first couple months of uh, collections came in, and and again here I'm talking strictly about the multifamily space. Uh, but once uh, uh, you know once it was apparent that people were actually going to pay rent, and it was apparent that uh, the government was really going to step in and provide. The stimulus they did, uh, including the $1,200 monthly payment, uh, or not monthly, upfront payment, plus uh, the, the federal unemployment uh, insurance of uh, $600 a week. That made a huge difference. And uh, it seemed to really ignite uh, the marketplace, and there was a lot more activity. And uh, also because the Fed, they did their part, uh, taking the Fed funds down to almost zero, zero to 25 basis points. The tenure uh, went down. I mean, at, at one point, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember what it was at the beginning of the year, but it dropped to, uh, you know, 64, 60 basis points, whatever it was. And, you know, consequently, you could borrow money very, very cheaply. I mean, we bought a deal shortly after um, uh, things started to get back to normal, bought a deal in Tempe, Arizona, and we uh, borrowed 10 year money. At 225 IO uh, for 10 years. I've been in the business 44 years. That's the cheapest loan we've ever gotten until just recently when we put another loan on. It was a big loan, it was almost 900 million. Um, our rate 10 year IO was uh, 228 uh, for a 75% loan. 
these are incredible, uh, uh, incredibly cheap, um, you know, uh, you know, debt offerings. And, and of course, what does that do? It impacts what people are, are willing to pay for uh, apartment properties and really any kind of properties where you can access this kind of debt. And as a, as a consequence, uh, cap rates actually decreased. And uh, whereas I, I think they were starting to trend up uh, and, and you would have thought they would continue to trend up because guess what? Rents are coming down. Uh, rents are decreasing, not greatly in some markets. Uh, you know, the Bay Area, particularly San Francisco, you're seeing decreases of 15 to 20%. Um, and you would think cap rates uh, would have uh, reacted uh, by increasing. Well, just the opposite has happened. And, you know, let, let's leave San Francisco out of this for the time being. But uh, cap rates, and again, I've, as I said, I've been at this a while. I've never seen cap rates for the type of properties that are trading today, sub four. Um, you know, it's not unusual to see three and three quarters, 380, 390 on cap rates uh, on, on in-place income. In, incredibly, incredibly low cap rates. So, so pricing has, uh, you know, has, has really increased, which is, is sort of counterintuitive uh, when when uh, rents are actually going down. But again, it, it's, it's a little bit of a, a you know, it, it, it's the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world uh, providing the cheap, cheap capital, capital which is, is driving these asset prices because it's certainly not rental growth. Um, so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're seeing in the marketplace. And, and by the way, Linda, we, we continue to be active, um, you know, on the buy side of the ledger. Um, you know, it, it's it's not going to be a record year for for Fairfield by any stretch. Uh, every year we try to buy at least a billion dollars of existing uh, properties, and we'll fall short of that. But it'll still be a, a very very good year, and probably be somewhere around seven hundred million uh, when the year finishes. Uh, so we're still active. Uh, we're careful about uh, what we're doing, but uh, we still like the marketplace. We still love the multifamily business. It's performing exactly the way multifamily performs, which is defensively. Um, you know, uh, our occupancies um, on a macro basis in, in our space, 95, 96%. Um, you know, there's probably not another sector with the exception of industrial where you're seeing that kind of sticky occupancy. Uh, rents are going down, but not greatly. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's low single digits. Um, and uh, you know, delinquencies, yeah, delinquency is greater than uh, pre-COVID. Uh, but at the same time, we're collecting about 95% of our rent roll. Uh, and that's been consistent since, uh, you know, beginning of March. So so it sounds like um, between interest rates helping to buoy the market and the suburban ring, which Fairfield is normally located, that's helped protect you, given you a hedge against this economy. Yeah, yeah. It's not only helped us; it helped our entire industry, quite frankly. And and uh, you know, the the urban to suburban, and, and Linda hit on it. Uh, Fairfield historically, uh, and, and well, let's switch more to the development side. Uh, you know, our our roots. Uh, you know, when we when we started the company, and I wasn't here when it started, but when the company was started, it 
which is we're celebrating our 35th year this year. So we've been in business for a while. Started as a development company uh, based in, in Dallas and San Diego. And it's morphed into really quite more than, than that today. Um, but our, our roots were really suburban garden merchant builder and uh, primarily in the, the Southwest uh, and in Southern California. And, uh, um, you know, this, this, uh, and, and we evolved over time as just as the industry involved, evolved. Um, but since the, the Great Recession, um, you know, our, our development uh, was still focused in suburban or sometimes suburban. Uh, we'll do an occasional urban deal, but we never jumped on the bandwagon, the urban bandwagon. I mean, it was very popular. And, you know, all the millennials were moving into uh, the marina in San Francisco. Everybody wanted the urban core with the fancy restaurants and cafes and the cool bars. Uh, we didn't jump on that bandwagon. Uh, and, and the reason we did it, We've always been cost conscious about uh, our rents, our our, uh, our construction costs per unit, and you know we saw in the urban areas much much more costly construction. A lot of those were mid-rise, high-rise podiums with subterranean garages, and and we could build much much cheaper in the, the suburbs. So we we sort of uh, you know. Um, and believe me, we, we didn't predict a pandemic back then. Uh, we, we didn't know it was coming. Um, you know, we look wise now that, uh, you know, we didn't jump on that bandwagon because not only is the cost really, really high to build those projects, it takes a long time. It's much more complicated. You're much more subject to uh, cost overruns. And uh, uh, the rents you need to get, you know, acceptable return on cost, much higher. And uh, guess what? In, in this COVID environment, and things will change. We're going to get a vaccine. I don't know when, but we'll get one. And, and things will, uh, I don't want to say they're going to revert to back to where we were, because I really, truly believe that this pandemic will leave lasting changes on the type of units we build, how people behave, where they're going to want to live. And uh, so I, I think... Um, you know, we, we, we got a little lucky uh, because most of our development activity was suburban. And we just reviewed stats um, um, yesterday. Uh, suburban rents are higher than urban rents in terms of growth. Uh, urban rents are decreasing. Suburban rents are increasing. There's much more supply in urban areas relative to inventory than suburban areas. Um, and, you know, so... So, and, and occupancies are firmer in the suburbs than the urban areas. The cap rates, I would say, are basically the same on trades. So, being in the suburbs has really been a huge advantage um, uh, in, in today's market. And as far as moving forward, our concentration is going to continue to be suburban. In fact, um, you know, with work from home, um, and I, I think work from home, um, you know, again, is probably going to continue, not to the extent we, we have it today where everybody's working from home for the most part, uh, anyway, in the, the corporate world. Uh, but it, it's going to be a hybrid. Uh, we're convinced, and, and there are certain companies that will allow a, a large portion of their work staff to work from home. And guess what? If you can work from home, I mean, what did you, now, this is not the case for me, but a lot of people, they don't want to commute. 
the long hours they don't want to expose themselves to uh, dense environments, being on uh, being on the freeway for an hour to get to work, uh, being on mass transit, exposing yourself to um, you know a lot of people. It's hard to social distance when you're on an elevator or when you're on a uh, you know a subway. Um, so all of this is contributing to a really positive uh, um, you know situation environment for suburban development as well as suburban acquisitions. Well, it certainly makes Fairfield look very prescient. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, like I said, I, 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 I'm not going to, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're, we're uh, you know, we were predicting uh, what's happened. But again, we just felt because all the things I mentioned, uh, we, we'd rather provide a product at a cheaper price point uh, in terms of cost and at a cheaper cost for our residents. Well, you you certainly nailed it. It seems like we are in the midst of another great migration. People are moving at a record pace, and not just because of the the new line of work on home policies. What is this doing to the rents, occupancy, and turnover? And what is your take on why they're moving? Is it simply the work at home policy, or are there other things at play? Yeah, I, I mean, let, let's let's tackle that one at a time. I sort of touched on rents um, on a macro basis. Um, you know, the uh, prognosticators are saying rents are down. You know, basis points, which when they're talking about macro rents, they're really talking about uh, gross rents. They're not talking about net rents. Uh, and when I say net versus gross, we're factoring in concessions. And it, it's it's hard for the prognosticators to really measure what those discounts are, um, but we can do it. We we have our own portfolio. We know what we're concessing, and you know, and we have a, a national portfolio, and we have product that represents really all the spaces. And you know, we're we're seeing effective rents down in in the uh, low to mid single digits is, is what we're seeing across our portfolio. Certain markets are a lot worse. Um, markets that you wouldn't expect would be good are good. For instance, Las Vegas, uh, which you know continues to baffle me. I'm, I'm not certain why that is, but uh, we've actually seen increases in our rents in Las Vegas. Um, so that that's the rent picture, and and uh, because we have such a big country, so many different markets, and real estate is local. You know, um, you know every every market will be a little bit different, but that's what we're seeing on a macro basis. Same thing on occupancies. Our occupancy for our portfolio is 96% uh, nationally, um, you know, from, again, the prognosticators that are looking at a, uh, you know, a, a, a national portfolio of A, B, and C product, you're about the same, about 95%. What this pandemic has done is really accelerate trends that were already in place. And I firmly believe that the millennials, uh, it's probably too early for Gen Z, but, uh, you know, the millennials, uh, Gen X, um, you know, it, it, you know it, they're aging. They're getting closer to married age. They've done the, you know, the, the urban experiment. Um, and they're, they're ready to move. They're ready. They want more space. They want affordability. They may be having families. They want better schools. Um, you know, there's a whole host of, of, of drivers that were already in place uh, that, are now getting a catalyst from from the pandemic, and uh, 
I, I can speak from uh, you know my, my own experience. Uh, my my daughter and her husband, who lived in uh, uh, in, in Russian Hill in, in San Francisco, uh, moved in with us last month. You know, he he works for a hedge fund based in New York. They said work wherever you want; it don't matter. Uh, you know, the same thing with my daughter. She she works in a business similar to ours, and you know, um, she 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 could move home and. So she's saving thousand dollars, thousands of dollars a month in rent. Um, they have a you know a, a, a big house, room to roam. They don't have to worry about uh, you know the density and all the things you have to deal with in the city, the homelessness and you know security issues and uh, you know so that those are the forces that are really squeezing people out of the urban areas and, and into the uh, suburban markets. Um, and I we think it's going to continue. Yeah, it sounds like that's a permanent move. Yeah. Now, I again, I when we find a vaccine, I mean, living in the city, you know, is a cool experience. People like it. They, who, who doesn't like a bunch of, you know, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants and, you know, great uh, cafes and the museums? There's always going to be a, an attraction in the, in the urban core. So it, it's I, I'm not predicting by any stretch that the urban areas are going to die. I, I don't think that's going to happen at all. But I think there's going to be a real renaissance in the uh, suburban areas. Um, so. That makes sense. And I'll tell you, it is um, what a lot of our CEOs are saying. So it seems to be a common theme amongst our developers and, and managers. Fairfield is a large enterprise made up of many different businesses. Most are familiar with Fairfield's luxury product, but the company also has value-add plays, affordable acquisitions, and more. In light of current market conditions, where is your focus now? Well, that's a good question. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of the marketplace uh, doesn't really – appreciate what Fairfield is today um, because, you know, as I said, our roots were really, you know, we were a regional developer and that's uh, how people still perceive us. Um, um, but especially in, in, you know, I don't know how, how many of your viewers realize this, but uh, we are majority owned today by Kelsters, which is a $250 billion pension fund. Uh, I think they're the largest teacher's pension fund in the world. Uh, we've had a relationship with them since 1997. Uh, April of last year, they bought out uh, Brookfield, who was uh, the majority shareholder in Fairfield up until that buyout. Um, and uh, you know, since Kelsters came into the company, our, our, our vision really changed. The path forward was expansion of capital base, expand expansion of our geographical footprint. But the most important change was an expansion of our strategies. Um, they committed a large amount of money to an affordable strategy, uh, over half a billion dollars, uh, which everyone knows in our business, affordability is a huge issue. And it, there's not an easy solution. There's a lot of capital attracted to the space. We've been in this space really since the 90s, um, but generally under the radar. Um, but with this uh, commitment of capital by Kelsters, uh, we've uh, uh, increased the size of our portfolio from 6,000 to 12,000 units. And it's our intent to go to uh, 
um, another doubling. Uh, so we fully expect in the next uh, three to four years, we'll be at 25,000 units plus. We love that space. Um, uh, you know, multifamily is considered a defensive sector on its own. But if you were to carve out affordable, it's even more defensive than the, uh, you know, the multifamily space in general. Um, and for us, affordable um, is, is really uh, properties that, uh, for the most part, are coming out of the uh, low-income housing tax credit program. You know, the, the credit delivery period is over, um, and, but the, the credit restrictions are still in place. Uh, it leaves a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, rework the asset, rework the financing, um, and, and keeping the rents in place. Uh, you know, our strategy is not to remove tenants or, or raise their rents. It's, it's really to uh, provide a, uh, a secure, high-quality, um, serviced environment for a lower-end tenant. Because most of our tenants in that space are paying 50 to 60%. Uh, of area median income. And in and, and, and almost every market, not all markets, but almost every market, there's a discount to what the market is. For instance, here in, in San Diego, a market rent for a, a two-bedroom unit could be $2,400, $2,500. In our affordable projects, which are in great locations, the, the same rent is, you know, $1,500, you know, $1,000 cheaper. So, that space is very valuable to the tenant and they tend not to move. They tend to really pay their rent on time because they don't want to leave, lose the right to what is a great opportunity. We do a very, we service our affordable, just like we service our AAA luxury apartments. And uh, um, so, uh, you know, we, we like that space and what it's done for us um, on the acquisition side, we are very active. Um, and affordable. Um, you know, we, we think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, whereas our value add space, Linda, we, we, we'll do a little business there this year and we have dry powder there. I mean, we, we could put out a lot of money, but we're just not liking the opportunities because what do tenants in this type of environment not want to do? Pay more rent. And, and, uh, um, you know, so, um, you know, value add is predicated on buying a property, fixing it up, and raising rents. So it, it doesn't really, you know, it, it doesn't really connect with what the current environment is. And that's going to change. Um, that's going to change. But uh, for now, you know, we don't think the value add space is is the you know the greatest opportunity. There's still opportunities out there. Don't get me wrong, but they're not generally available the way they were, you know, three or four years ago. Um, and, and then the other space we're active in is, is the core plus space, um, which is buying, um, which is a lower yield um, program, buying uh, more current aged assets. And, you know, the space is fairly competitive, but again, it allows us to really take advantage of uh, these low interest rates. It's, it's a low leverage strategy. Um, you know, our target returns are probably 10 gross. Um, but, you know, I, I realize I'm getting a little bit off your question, but I, I think what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to demonstrate, the, the ability to execute in different strategies nationally gives us an opportunity to always be active. Uh, because if we just had value add today, 
you know, our volume would, uh, I mean, we, we just wouldn't have a lot of volume uh, because we don't see the opportunity. So we're never going to put out investors' money just to put it out. I mean, we're going to put it out only if we, we uh, can see opportunity. Um, but we're very busy and affordable, and we're somewhat busy in our core plus. And it makes our, brings more value to our platform. Um, and we find today that the pension funds, the big institutional investors, want managers um, who can operate nationally and operate across a broad spectrum of strategies. Balance. Balance. I think balance is key. And yeah. certainly it speaks to providing housing in all types of economies and market, which is the name of the game. The country needs more housing and oh my gosh, the country absolutely needs more affordable. Yeah. So you're addressing a real need. Well, Greg, that's all the time we have today. Wow, what a great show. Greg, thank you for give, for joining us and giving us the straight news right from your vast operational knowledge. Thank you, Linda. Greg Pincala is another true example of American greatness in all economies and history. Such ingenuity is what keeps the wheels of opportunity and our country's greatness churning. What an exciting show. Greg is one of our industry's sharpest minds. Greg, thank you for taking the time to join us and sharing your insights. I'm Linda Hoffman. See you on our next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters. 